A reading from the first book of Kings. Now Hiram of Tyre sent his servants to Solomon when he heard that they had anointed him in place of his father. For Hiram had always been a friend to David. Solomon sent word to Hiram saying, you know that my father David could not build a house for the name of God because of the warfare with which his enemies surrounded him until God put them under the soles of his feet. But now my God has given me rest on every side. There is neither ad, uh, adversary nor misfortune. So I intend to build a house for the name of my God, who said to my father David, your son, whom I will set on your throne in your place, shall build the house for my name. Then Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes, the leaders of the ancestral houses of the Israelites before King Solomon in Jerusalem to bring up the Ark of the Covenant of God out of the city of David, which is Zion. All the people of Israel assembled to King Solomon at the festival in the month Ethanim, which is the seventh month. And all the elders of Israel came and the priests carried the Ark. So they brought up the Ark, the tent of meeting and all the holy vessels that were in the tent. The priests and the Levites brought them up King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel who had assembled before him were with him before the ark, sacrificing so many sheep and oxen that they could not be counted or numbered. Then the priests brought the ark of the covenant to its place in the inner sanctuary of the house, in the most holy place, underneath the wings of the cherubim. For the cherubim spread out their wings over the place of the ark, so that the cherubim made a covering above the ark and its poles. The poles were so long that the ends of the poles were seen from the holy place in front of the inner sanctuary, but they could not be seen from the outside. They are there to this day. There was nothing in the ark except the two tablets of stone that Moses had placed there at Horeb, where God made a covenant with the Israelites when they came out of the land of Egypt. And when the priests came out of the holy place, a cloud filled the house of God so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud. For the glory of God filled the temple. Then Solomon said, O God, you have said that you would dwell in thick darkness. I have built you an exalted house, a place for you to dwell in forever. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us, Thanks be to God. Our journey through the Hebrew Bible continues through the monarchy, a new king, Solomon, has been installed and he has built a grand temple and home for God because his son David, <clears throat> sorry, his father David, father? I should have done my research. Father David, yes, okay, <laughs> doing this off the cuff, um, was prevented from building the temple. God had given a very clear message to David to not build the temple. So Solomon is building this grand temple. That is where we are in the narrative. And 
on this All Saints Day worship, I confess that I've opted to mostly skip the reading that we have heard this morning of the cedar-lined temple, even though I spent a lot of this week surrounded by cedars, and so I feel like I have this connection to the cedar-lined temple uh, that's described in our reading from First Kings. Except to say that it makes me ponder again the fingerprints of the saints, the laborers, the artisans, that are left all over this sacred constructed space that we inhabit together. I spy in this space the artistic foot fingerprints of Linda Powell and Vern Willis and Chuck Brill and many others. Saints, we remember you, we honor you, and we thank you for the fingerprints that we see in our On this All Saints Day of honoring dear ones who have passed on, especially those who have died in the last year, and part of why we're just making this the focus is that in this lingering pandemic, the losses just continue to pile up and we're experiencing them differently. I now have beloveds who died more than a year ago for whom I have not been able to gather with family to remember and grieve. And so it seemed especially important to create that space here today. We honor those, especially those who have died in the last year, but also those whom we carry in our hearts. And as I think about that, what I ponder is the pair of the blessing and the woe from Jesus's sermon on the plain in the Gospel of Luke. We tend, I think as Mennonites, but maybe, maybe Christians more broadly, to know the Sermon on the Mount version a little bit better from the Gospel of Matthew. Um, but we have the Gospel of Luke version uh, where we have the blessings paired with woes. And there is something really um, deeply true about this. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. In this pair, this blessing and the woe, they seem uh, profoundly and simply true to me to hold those two together. So you, you who weep for a loved one, for a neighbor, a stranger, a friend, a lover, a parent, a child, a sibling, a foe, an anonymous other, receive this blessing. You will laugh. And you who enjoy a buffering distance from the sorrow of loss, be warned, it is but a reprieve you will one day weep with grief. The promise of laughter to we who mourn, though perhaps scorned in the intense whirl of grief, it is a promise that is sure and true. That is, if you are weeping and mourning now, you are not promised a false happy face and a sympathy pseudo laugh. 
Rather, you are promised laughter, the kind that starts in your belly and shakes your shoulders and spills out in joyous tears, maybe making you roll around on the ground. (laughs) Be blessed, you who weep, for you shall laugh. And similarly, the promise of grief, though it's often and vehemently denied in the swirling seasons of good cheer, that is also a promise that is sure and true. That is, you are not promised a false sobriety when confronted with the sorrows of others that secretly and blessedly isn't touching your own life at the moment. Rather, you are promised grieving. The kind that starts in the hollowed pit of your chest and drops like a dead weight to the soles of your feet, leaving you feeling empty, bereft, lost, and dreadfully abandoned. Alas to you who are laughing now, for you shall weep. This pair, this blessing and this woe, this profoundly simple and true pair rings for me because this is This is what I know of life. Sorrow and joy cohabitate in our bodies. Have you ever laughed at a funeral? (laughs) I have. Sometimes in ways that feel kind of inappropriate. Yep, I've done that too. Have you ever wept tears of sorrow and yearning at a wedding? I've done that. So any of you who've had those kinds of experiences, you know this as well. Be blessed, you who weep, for you shall laugh, and alas to you who laugh, for you shall weep. Weeping and laughter dwell together in the narratives of our lives, and as surely as one accompanies you today, the other will visit you tomorrow. These two companions on our journey, they may not be constant, but they are sure. Weeping and laughter, each one patiently waiting its turn, faithfully camped out beyond some distant bend in the path that we cannot yet see. You who weep, you who laugh, blessed are you, for you will know plenty of both before this life is through. Isn't it obvious and hasn't it been from the beginning that we are each one of us both? We are almost never one or the other. We've always been both. I'm the one who laughs now. Woe to me, for I shall weep. And I am the one who mourns now, and blessed am I, for I shall laugh. Each dear human in this room and each dear human gathered with us by Zoom, each dear human who's only with us in spirit this morning has been blessed in weeping and chagrined, chastened in laughing. And it would maybe be a despairing kind of message. Maybe it's striking you that way. Uh, I got about at this point in the sermon writing and I was like, it's kind of a bummer. It might be a despairing message, except for the fact that in our sorrow and laughter filled lives, we have been given to each other. We've been given to one another for sharing laughter and grieving alike a ragtag group of joy and sorrow-filled folks. That's us. (laughs) 
There's a book on my shelf that I read many years ago now. It's called This Odd and Wondrous Calling, and it was written by two pastors uh, who reflect on both the ordinary and the sort of extraordinary in the ministerial life. And it is, in a word, lovely. It's sort of like having a cup of coffee with a pastor colleague. And in one of the chapters, one of them, and I think I've even brought this up before in a sermon, it's been years now probably, but may sound familiar to some of you. In one of the chapters, one of them commented on how easy it is to experience God in nature. So many of us have experienced that. So many of us who, uh, or many people who self-describe as spiritual but not religious, this is a common thing to see God and nature. And even those of us who claim both, I am spiritual and religious. I believe in the coming together in a room <laughs> and, and doing church. So I'm spiritual and religious. Even those of us who may claim both are quick to make this declaration as though it's new and profound. And my goodness, people, I uh, very specifically took the drive down Aurora this morning on my way to church because there's this spot where, you know, like on a clear day or not a clear day, you know, you never know when you're going to see the mountains on the horizon, right? Uh, you get this great shot of Tahoma and my goodness, oh, Mount Rainier this morning, just crisply silhouetted against the autumnal pinks and oranges of the sky. Stunning. It was one of those days where you can see every creek and crevice on the mountain, just gorgeous. That was this morning, and it is just so easy then to see the evidence of God and holiness and sacredness in the beauty of creation and to feel connected. And yet, the author of this book, this pastor, reflects that it's neither new nor profound to experience God in nature. That's rather easy, and many of us do, and it doesn't mean it's a bad thing. God is experienced powerfully and beautifully in the breathtaking gorgeousness of nature, in mountain and sea and sunset and moonrise, in autumnal tree and springtime bloom. But of course, or stated differently, duh. <laughs> the real miracle isn't that God is found in the beauty of creation or that that awakens in us a sense of the divine and God's presence with us. The real miracle is that God is experienced in church, in human community. Now that's a miracle. <laughs> when a messy group of people who are stuck with one another come together for worship and for fellowship, for formation and for service, for talent shows and discernment and business, when in the midst of that we see God, hear God, experience God, that is miraculous indeed. We haven't so much chosen one another, even if there's, of course, some choice in a church to attend. We haven't so much chosen one another as we have been given to one another. A motley crew of us who sometimes blessedly, miraculously reflects God's gracious love like Tahoma in the sunrise sky. Thanks be to God. So may we never cease in giving thanks for each one who is given to this community. And may we remember each sorrow and joy filled one in our prayers, especially this morning. That is part of why we have been given to one another.
and especially in this sacred trinity of days, All Hallows' Eve for Halloween, followed by All Saints on the first and All Souls on the second. May we remember each sorrow and joy-filled one in our midst, for we have been given to one another. In this All Saints worship, we especially honor those given to this community who mourn the death, the loss of loved ones in this past year. And so on this day, when we particularly lift up those among us who are heavy with sorrow, may we, like Jesus, speak a word of blessing to our sibling and fellow beloved of God. Blessed you who mourn for you will laugh. May we remember the grieving in our prayers, with our words, and through our actions. We are given for one another to share in joy and in sorrow, and may it be especially true for each one of us who weeps this day. Amen. May it be so. In remembrance of our All Saints Day, Each of you will have the opportunity to share the names of those uh, that you are remembering. Those very specifically who have died in the last year, but also others that you carry in your hearts. Family members, dear friends and loved ones, significant persons who have impacted you in some way. Those who may be known to you by name or not who've died on the streets or in the executioner chamber of our penal system at the hand of our military or our police forces or some other violent militia in some other bereaved corner of the world. So some of these saints will be people that we know very personally and some maybe only we've read in headlines. Each of them saints, not because they were blameless or perfect in thought, word, or deed, but because each one is Beloved, beloved, beloved of God. And if you would like to honor and have named aloud someone or some group, I invite you to send those names to the prayer text line that I think is both in your chat box and also on your printed programs or if you have it open on your phone. I would invite you to send any names that you would like read aloud and I'll speak those allowed as we remember our saints together and the impact of the lives of those on we who remain. You may also, of course, always choose to silently remember your beloved saints in your heart. And so I invite you now to take that moment to share the names. And I am going to begin by remembering some from our own community who have died in the past year. We begin by remembering Larry Scheffler, covenanted member of our congregation, proclaimer of the spiritual vortex here at Seattle Mennonite, lover of Jesus, volunteer on the Stewardship Council and the Immigration Ministry team, and at God's Little Acre, where he found his true home and community with folks on the margins. We remember Larry's life with gratitude. We remember Vern Willis, longtime part of our congregation, neighbor of SMC, 
singer of Bach and savorer of scotch. Woodworking artist who created these sacred pieces. Some of you may not know that pulpit and communion table. One who stayed intimately connected with us here and was a dear and beloved friend to many of you. We remember Vern's life with gratitude. We also remember Chuck Brill, longtime part of our congregation, also a neighbor of SMC, having found a home right across the street at McDermott Place. One who took on the big project of our marquee window on the front of the building and saw it through with care. Volunteer on our stewardship council as well and willing storyteller in community gatherings. We remember Chuck's life with gratitude. And we remember Devon Loop, also a longtime part of our congregational community, beloved of our beloved Carl Westfall, led such an interesting life, supporter of Mennonite Disaster Service, and a witness of how to walk the path toward death with incredible grace and love. We remember Devon's life with gratitude. And now we name aloud the saints' names that have been shared to our text line, joining with our siblings in the faith as we have been given to one another and as each one of us holds tenderly the memories of so many beloveds who have gone before. Peggy Dale. We remember with Melissa. We remember a dear friend, Cynthia, who lost her struggle with cancer. We name again with Lee, her saints, Vern Willis, and her mom, Phil Zimmerman. With Robin, we remember Saints Abram Hostetter, Robin's uncle, and their friends Mike Tyndall and Danny Schaefer. With Amy, Pastor Amy, we remember Saint Steve Berkey. With Kathy, we remember Gladys and David Zarambeka, peace workers in Kenya. Although I think now, Kathy, those may be people who are living for whom we will pray. No, no, okay. Yes, they are saints. Okay, thank you. We remember Gladys and David Zarambeka, peace workers in Kenya. with Isaac and Gray, remembering Isaac's grandmother who passed away just last Wednesday. Oh, praying for Isaac and other family who are traveling to Indiana this week for the funeral. Evelyn Smith.
We remember Phil Ranheim, family friend of Ian Merrill, who died this year of COVID. We remember Sandy Richardson, Peggy Newcomer, Vern Willis, and Linda. With Rebecca, we remember Janine Allen, Boaz's granddad, Edward Berry, and Rosemary Allen. With Jennifer, we remember Lydia, mother of Jarvis and Jelani Stovall, two of her nephews. We remember little Donald, Carol Ann, Raymond, Sally, beloved family. And we remember Maxine Ortman, David's mom who died one year ago of COVID. Let us hold all those we remember, those we have named and those that many of us are holding silently in our hearts as we listen to Joanne play a beautiful hymn, God Weeps With Us. And if you would like to hum along with this hymn as we remember these saints who have been named and the saints who have remained unnamed, or read the stunning words that were written by one of my beloved seminary professors, Tom Troger, you may turn to 656 in your hymnals, 656. And Adam will also be pasting these words in the chat box for those of you who are on Zoom. Let us hold these saints and one another in prayer. 